Well, hello everybody and welcome to a very special episode of Yes BS today because it's our very first team episode. Uh, we're joined by Avon and Mark and they are the presenters of the Endless Knot podcast. It's a podcast that's kind of in our wheelhouse. They look at a lot of the same things we do, language, history, mm. culture. But they... I've, I've been on it before. Uh, yes, and Paul, as, <laughs> as Haggard Hawks, has been on the Endless yes. Knot uh, podcast. Yeah. You can find them at alliterative.net. They're also alliterative on YouTube. And, and a really good Instagram thing as well. It's much better than the Haggard Hawks one, which is really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> See, we're really bigging up Evan and Mark here. They're so. great, yeah. So, um, yeah. Though right now, the Instagram recently has only had uh, Mark's cocktails yes. and barbecue. But, you know, normally <laughs> we have some more stuff on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. So it's it's language, history, culture, and cocktails and barbecues as well. Yes, can't go wrong. <laughs> uh, so Avon has a PhD in classics from the University of Toronto, and Mark has a PhD in medieval literature, also from University of Toronto. So me and Paul are already monumentally underqualified. <laughs> We're to absolutely outclassed. Play this team game, <laughs> but I'll hand over. I'll stop talking now. I'll hand over to Avon and Mark before we get into the rules of yes or BS. Hi guys, how are you doing? We are doing well, thank you. Very well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> very honored are you to be forward here. To this? Oh, very much so. We're we're like probably your hugest fans. So <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Oh, we've, we've got two we've at least. <laughs> so we so we know yeah, <laughs> so we know who those two downloads were. Then last <laughs> we actually I'm a big fan of the Endless Knot as well. I, I do a lot of driving and I listen to you guys uh, on long drives. So you need to record a longer podcast, maybe at the two to three hour mark, and then. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we're slowly edging that. Direction, I think. <laughs> it's such a good podcast, though. It's oh, like it's so detailed and it covers mm. so many bases. It's uh, yeah. Um, but I think you guys, you you go into a lot more depth and you look at the connections between different events and mm. how language can affect culture, how culture can affect something else. Whereas mm-hmm. me and Paul, we just kind of blather on for a bit. And yeah. <laughs> and then we're, we're done. Well, ours is, uh, I think, uh, on on average, less amusing (laughs) (laughs) but but we do try to yeah we try to sort of um do we have a variety of different kind of styles Mm. but um when we're when it's just the two of us talking it's usually sort of take a topic or a theme and then do a kind of deep dive into the areas that we know about Mm -hmm. so the ancient world and the medieval english world yeah Uh, so it's it's language and literature very contextualized in Mm -hmm. history Mm. yeah (laughs) yeah extremely detailed (laughs) contextual Uh, this is why we're we're expecting big things from your facts oh dear (laughs) Uh (laughs) just that's that's so unfair (laughs) (laughs) And, and i was i was really Realizing that I didn't want to email you and say, okay, how much of our podcast have you listened to in which episodes? Because I kept coming up with facts and then being like, oh, I oh, used that. Already. I used that. I don't know if they've heard it or not. <laughs> oh, we've, we've gone all out on the research here, Raven. All out. I know. <laughs> I didn't want to put you on the spot. Like, Come on. So, how much have you listened to? Just to kind of cover the rules. So, regular listeners of Yes or BS will know that we'll tell each other three facts. Um, they could be true, they could be lies, and we have to guess if the other's lying or not. Uh, but for listeners of The Endless Knot who might not have heard Yes or BS, you're in for a, a treat today because it's... A treat is in inverted commas. There, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we hope it's a treat. This episode, myself and Paul are going to be a team. Mm-hmm. So we'll have a fact each. And Avon and Mark will be team endless knots and they will have a fact each. So I'll go first with my fact. And Avon and Mark will guess to see if I'm telling the truth or if it's a lie or not. Yeah, but I, I was really worried about this because there's got to be... like The team's got to agree on whether it's one thing or the other. And, and 
if one person thinks one thing and the other thinks the other, there's going to be there's going to be fights here. There's going to be a brawl. Exactly. And I, I like to disagree with Paul out of a point of principle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we may have to, you know, go into offline mode for a moment for each of us to work out our interpersonal <laughs> yeah. relationships. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. How, how so far are we willing to risk our... Our, our marriage. <laughs> <laughs> So if the podcast cuts off halfway through, well, you'll know what's happened, everybody. Yeah, we'll just solve it. And with well, like the stakes are very wrestle. high here because um, the you know the prize is um, glory, untold glory. <laughs> the so prize with, is nondescript. Said with such confidence, there, Raven. Glory. <laughs> That's going to be our new tag on Twitter. Yes or yes? The prize is glory. The, pri- but... the prize is glory with a question mark at the end of it. <laughs> Okay, right. right. So, come on, team yes or BS? Yeah. I don't like being on Paul's side, but we'll do this today. Come on. <laughs> it feels wrong working together. I'm not sure I like this. I, we should say as well. Warm we're, exchange we're not, bedfellows. <laughs> <laughs> we're not 100% clear on what each other's facts are either. We haven't we, really discussed this. We've deliberately withheld some details. Yeah. Because... So this thought... is going to be as much of a surprise for me as it is for you guys. Exactly. I, exactly. <laughs> oh, no. This is a bad idea already, I can tell. <laughs> So, so, launching in yeah, to my okay. first fact. Right, let's go. Now, with Avon having a doctorate in classics, my mm-hmm. original fact was going to be based almost entirely around the Roman Empire. I kind of, I was going to come up with an elaborate lie, but then I thought, there's no way I can confuse a doctor of classics <laughs> with amateur history knowledge. <laughs> so instead, I've focused on local history. Myself and Paul were both from a town called South Shields, which is on the northeast coast of England. Now, there is there is a Roman connection here. Um, actually, even, I don't know how how familiar you are with Hadrian's Wall and the different forts along there? Uh, only the basics of it, yeah. I know the, you know, I know the, what the wall is. It's where it holds back the White Walkers, I think. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already feeling more confident. <laughs> to be fair, I live here and that's about as much as I know about Hadrian's Wall. <laughs> Except you probably don't get the Game of Thrones reference. So. Yeah, that's, that's gone straight <laughs> <on> <laughs> <my journey. laughs> That's true. Regular listeners will know, like, Paul doesn't know anything, anything after 1850, I think. I don't know. <laughs> something after you turn the television set on that's my problem <laughs> but uh, we're kind of at the very eastern edge of Hadrian's Wall um, I don't know if you know a fort called Arbea even have you ever heard of that one before no I don't think so uh, I think it roughly translates as place of the Arabs and this was because there was a, an auxiliary legion of Tigris boatmen who manned the fort in South Shields hmm. and I kind of just wanted to bring these facts just to show how kind of cosmopolitan the empire could be mm-hmm. because also at the Roman fort uh, there was a local British woman who was married to a man called Barates, who was from Palmyra in Syria. And there was a grave marking of another soldier who was from North Africa as well. And I was going to ask you, Avon, actually, how porous was the Roman Empire in terms of people moving within the borders? Was it quite common for people just to up sticks and say, you know what, I fancy living in a different part of the empire today? Or was it mostly soldiers who would be doing the travelling? I would say it was probably, to a large extent, soldiers, just because travel was hard and dangerous and expensive. But definitely there was a lot of trade and there was a lot of movement Mm. of people as well as goods 
around the empire and there was no there were no barriers to doing so there was no like you're supposed to stay where you are there was no, it was, you know, there was no feudal system where peasants were supposed to stay on their land or anything like that I suppose if you were a, a large landowner you might own properties in oh absolutely places. yeah so you know it probably travel wasn't common in the sense that everyone was doing it but if you were in the top you know five percent of the wealth um, you probably were traveling quite often and we have merchants who travel all over and landowners who own yeah estates in Italy and North Africa and so there was certainly a lot more movement of people than I think sometimes people realize and it was not only and soldiers you know soldiers moved and then they settled down and they had families and they you know it wasn't just that individuals moved the sort of retinues of their um, unofficial families often because they weren't supposed (laughs) to marry (laughs) while they were soldiers um, would also move with them. I'm quite proud of like our hometown. I know people mm. it gets a lot of stick in the local region, but it's <laughs> it's there's actually a lot of history like this behind it, and people don't realise how like diverse and interesting the town actually is. Anthony did his school work experience at this fort as well. We should interject with this. <laughs> I, I did. I did uh, my archaeology work experience at this fort. So I'm just <laughs> plugging <laughs> plugging everything. Yeah, get get it's free entry as well. But <laughs> this podcast sponsored this. Week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how much of a kickback are you getting here? <laughs> I'm not seeing one penny of it (laughs) (laughs) but it was kind of it's from this fort I'm leading into my actual fact today Mm -hmm. because it's towards the start of the 5th century when the Romans were starting to withdraw from Britain Britain? from Britain there was a rumour that when the Tigris boatmen left Arbeer they had quite a lot of wealth with them but they didn't want to hide it in the fort because the original idea was they were going to come back for it they didn't think that this would be a permanent withdrawal and they found some caves a couple of miles down the road in Marsden Bay and it's these caves I want to talk about so that was my tenuous link to get to the caves so that's the last we'll speak of the Romans (laughs) this is the least direct story this happens this also happens quite a lot I'll have like lots of little peppery facts to to kind of give a bit of colour good true things but exactly (laughs) so I can tell my lies now I mean uh, (laughs) completely true facts Mm -hmm. yes exactly so we're jumping ahead uh, to 1782 now. So we're in the 18th century. <laughs> this right. is like when you started talking about the coal industry and then ended up st- talking about a ghost ship. This is, so many corners have been turned here. It's, it's, it's actually, this is the inner workings. These are the tactics I use. Right. The more facts you throw out there, the more you jump around. You throw people off. They don't know where you go. Tactics. It right. is. This is okay. all tactics. Okay. So these caves where the supposed Roman treasure was, it's never been found, so it's that's likely BS. But we're going to talk about two interesting characters in this cave. Now, from this point on, Avon and Mark, I could be telling the truth or this could be a complete lie. So everything so right. far has been true. Yes, everything right, okay. so far has been true. So okay. from this point so on, this is the fact. I can feel across the ocean, Avon and Mark have sat up in their seats. <laughs> their... Ears pricked. <laughs> Ears pricked, exactly. So have you ever heard of characters called Jack the Blaster and John the Jibber? No, no, I don't think so. Ah, this is a good this is a good sign. Now, Jack the Blaster, you're thinking explosives. Uh, mm. John the Jibber. Uh, Jibber comes from gibberish, which I think came about the 1600s. I'm looking at the etymologists. It's a, it the is a Middle English word originally, I think, but it's onomatopoeic. Ah, is yeah. it? Like a lot of words like that, yeah. Ah, right. <laughs> so this guy, John the Jibber, his nickname it was because he spoke a lot of gibberish. He, he either spoke quickly or he was unintelligible a lot of the time. Is he an ancestor of yours? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, the, the, the lines come too too fast to get out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, starting with Jack the Blaster, he was originally a lead miner who couldn't afford to pay his rent. So, he decided to go to the local quarry, he bought some explosives, headed down to these Roman caves, or where the supposed Roman treasure was, uh-huh. and decided to blast an enormous hole in the caves, which is where he took his wife and then lived. And being an entrepreneurial <laughs> as fellow, you as you do, <laughs> being an entrepreneurial fellow, he decided to turn that cave into a bar for the <laughs> local smugglers. So... Now, the 1780s were uh, were the golden age of smuggling. Mm-hmm. There was tea, tobacco, wine. Basically, everyone wanted to avoid quite high taxes the government was charging. The excise man, yes. So, Jack the Blaster decided to cash in on this and set up his own smuggler's bar. And to this day, you can still go into that bar and get a drink there. And okay. he was also known to John the Jibber, who was a smuggler there. Now, John the Jibber, he was supposedly sold out the smugglers to the excise man. And in revenge, he was hung from a barrel halfway down Marsden Cliff above these caves and left there to starve to death. And up until 1999, the landlord of this cave bar would leave out a glass of ale for John the Jibber (laughs) to appease his vengeful ghost. (laughs) So that is my tale, my friends. (laughs) Did did Jack the Blaster and John the Jibber smuggle in caves where... Exist. (laughs) Did they exist? And smuggle contraband in a supposed site of Roman buried treasure. There's a lot of pieces to this. Yeah. I can certainly believe if, if it's true that they would preserve that as a place you can still go today. Mm-hmm. So, okay, my first question is the blasting. Yes. What exactly, you said he went down to a quarry and picked up explosives. So what yes. explosives were they in 1780? Now, this was definitely pre-dynamite. I've, yes, I've headed good. this question. I was expecting this question. In. <laughs> so pre-dynamite. Which was, <laughs> I think dynamite was the 1860s, was it maybe? It was well, Nobel, Nobel yeah. right? Dynamite, yeah. 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 Uh, it was basically just barrels of black powder, which is okay. what the quarrymen would light to blast open parts of the rock face. Okay. So he went and tried to look for buried treasure, found none, and decided a bar was second best. Yes, of yeah. course, as you do. Uh... <laughs> I mean, those are your, your two sort of life options. Mm-hmm. So many people have stood at that particular <laughs> fork in the road and wondered. <laughs> so they were, the smuggling was, yeah, mostly probably alcohol and tobacco, uh, tobacco yeah, as so, you said. Yeah, okay. alcohol, tobacco, uh, some fine laces were smuggled there as well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so is this bar uh, hidden from the outside? Is it like, can you not see it? Is that why it was? Well, these days there's now a lift shaft at the top of the cliff that takes Mm -hmm. you down to the beach. So if that lift wasn't there, you wouldn't be able to see anything. You wouldn't know there was a bar down there. So uh, Jack originally built a zigzag staircase going down the cliff so that if you're just walking past, you would would never know anyone was kind of living down there. So, I mean, how does the, the current bar stocked now just through the lift shaft? It is. Yeah, I think it is. This is where I'm, I'm, I'm starting to have on my unfamiliar, unprepared territory. <laughs> so this yeah. is somewhere you've spent hours preparing your research, researching at the bar? <laughs> I'm starting to sweat a bit now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I would think at the beer kegs down. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I think they use the lift. Yeah, there's also some proper stairs that lead down there these days. Mm-hmm. All right. I don't know that I have any other 
questions. This is one of these things where we're talking basically pirate age too, right? Oh, yeah. All of the yes. all of the great yep. stories of the English coast. Sort of like the yeah, the yeah. tail end of the golden yeah. age yeah. of piracy. Exactly. Yeah. So that could and be there, where I'm trying to throw you off yeah. if I you could be come trying up with to, these to... crazy names. <laughs> yeah. So lots of strange things happen then and there's great stories mm. from then. So are you playing off of that and, and working with that? Or mm. is this one of those stories? Hmm. I don't really know. I thought coming in, I thought, well, at least we've listened to two seasons of these guys talking. (laughs) So we'll know their strategies, but they don't have any idea of whether we, you know, we don't usually try to BS on. I mean, I'm sure we end up BSing on our podcast, but it's not intentional. Never gets easier, even. (laughs) Now I'm suddenly suddenly realizing that this means nothing. I have no no instinct. Mm. So what are your guys, what's your gut feeling on this one? I mean, it seems entirely plausible to me. I feel like the idea that somebody would go and try to blow up the caves looking for the Roman Roman treasure is plausible. The fact that he would succeed in not killing himself and also making a habitable bar is the part that I'm a little unsure. <laughs> <laughs> you when you describe it like that, even it sounds, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this guy wasn't even a quarryman, particularly. Right? <laughs> no, no, he, he was a lead miner. I'm trying to think now of other examples of. Small Smugglers bars because right. I know they certainly did use things like caves and hidden places for hiding and, and hiding and yeah, so forth. And I'm trying to think stuff. of another example where someone actually tried to run a business catering off these, to off these people who, of course, have you know um, high morals about paying their bar tab. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. You got to make sure you stand your round. I think if you're in a bar full of smugglers and pirates, yeah. <laughs> carry around a barrel full of gunpowder. That'll make. I was going to say if you, if you kept a spare barrel and like threatened a match yeah. over it. I'm, I'm willing to take myself down. And then the, the, the fact about uh, John, uh, whoever the gibber was, like, I mean, that part sounds completely plausible. <laughs> Hang a guy to die on a cliff and leave a tankard of ale out for him. That sounds like everything I understand about England and its history. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you go to any town in England and there'll be a story like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that part, that part doesn't raise my suspicions at all, frankly. <laughs> for England, that's just perfectly um, normal. That happened last week, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Mark, we're going to have to come to a decision here. Yeah. I mean, I think my gut instinct is to say it's true. Yeah, that is mine too, but I don't But it could it. easily be made and up. At all. Especially since, I, I, again, I can't think of another example of a smuggler's so bar. bar I know se. that's, yeah, that is the, the detail other than the surviving the explosion part that uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to this do. game is so stressful, by the way. It's like... Yeah, it's the worst game ever. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to listen to and it turns out excruciating to play. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've, it's aged me by about 10 years, just the two seasons we've done. He looks 72 now. Uh, well, we're going to have to make a decision. Yeah. What do you want to do? Yep. Shall we just say... True, because... That's my gut instinct. All right, go with that, because I really... Mm -hmm. I don't have, you know... Just have this little, you know, kind of warning light, but... Oh, I I am totally Mm. of two minds. (laughs) Trust me, I don't Mm. believe any of it. But at the same time, I don't have... I don't actually have any grounds on which to. Like, there's nothing, no piece of it that I have enough knowledge to debunk. All right, we're going to say true. True. Okay, final answer, guys. Final answer. That entire story is true. Correct. Well done. And actually, I think it's one of the only surviving cave bars that's still a bar today. 
Yeah. Um, it's like it's quite a tourist spot. You can get you can even stay the night there if you want. And I think they do like a, a ghost tour for John oh, the Jibbins yeah. ghost if you, if you want to yeah. uh, if you want to kind of give him his ale for the night or something. Mm. Right. But yeah, it's actually it's a really nice <laughs> little bar down there. You get nice views of the beach. Um, you can explore some of the caves. Mm. Uh, no Roman treasure yet, still, but um, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to keep trying. <laughs> yeah. That is a, that is well, a very to, cool. I, yes. That's a very cool story. The idea that there is actually a hidden bar that survives mm. from that that mm. is. That's pretty awesome. That story is the treasure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a beautiful way to finish that fact. Thank you. <laughs> right. Okay. That's, that's the, us on the back foot now, I think. <laughs> Pulse rate going yeah. down a bit. Now it's going to go up again. Which one of us is going to go next, Mark? I can go next if you All want. All right, you go. All right. Okay, well, cool. I'm going to play to my strengths uh, and do an Anglo-Saxon fact. Oh no, um, my, my whole body just convulsed there because I just like, I think I should kind of know a little bit about this. But... <laughs> There's even a little bit of a bonus fact that is a kind of word thing. So we'll oh, see. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're probably aware of the idea of a Weregeld, yes? I have no idea. <laughs> have no idea what a Weregeld Okay, so a Weregeld <laughs> is, it literally means man payment. So Geld is related to yield. Right. And it's a common, it's a common common thing in amongst various early Germanic peoples. It's a way of getting out of blood feuds, right? So one one family kills a member of another family and the killing goes back and forth. Uh, but you can get out of that by paying the value of a man. Oh, right. Ah, okay. so I have sort of, heard of this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. It's a sliding scale thing. So depending on the social status of the person, he might be worth more or less. So in one particular law code, for instance, uh, a churl or basically the lowest class of free man uh, is worth, say, 200 shillings, whereas a nobleman would be worth 1,200 shillings. Right. Mm. Okay. Yeah, this is making sense so far. Right? Yeah. Now, I'm taking notes as well. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so in one particular law code called the, uh, the law code of King Athelbert of Kent, uh, which was composed in the early 7th century. Um, this is, So he was the first king, Anglo-Saxon king, to be Christianized. Uh, and ah, the, and right, so okay. this law code is actually one of the earliest complete long-running text, aside from little inscriptions and so forth, in Old English. Although I should point out that it only survives in a very late copy from the 12th century. Right. Okay. okay. I was going to say, because that is very early for a surviving text. But... It, so it was written in the early 6th century, but it, 7th century, sorry, early <laughs> right. 7th century. Oh, but it, uh, there's a chink, there was a chink in the armor there. For <laughs> <laughs> well, right, it okay. actually could have been written in the late sixth century, but probably not. Um, and so this law code includes other sorts of compensations besides just murder. Um, so it could include things like property and injury and so forth. Uh, so, for instance, one of the uh, codes says, uh, if a man lies with a nobleman's serving maid, he shall pay 12 shillings compensation. Or if a man lies with a commoner's serving maid, he shall pay 6 shillings compensation. What to the bargain. man, of course. To, to the man, yeah. To the, to the, uh, the, Just <clears throat> thought I'd point that out. Yes. <laughs> to the nobleman or common man, yes. So you, you can see this kind of sliding scale. And it also itemizes injuries by things like what is broken, whether it's uh, an arm or uh, an ear getting cut off. And it, again, it's sliding scale. So for instance, uh, the four front teeth, any of the four front teeth has a compensation of six shillings. Uh, and then for each of the teeth, that stand next to that, it's four shillings. And as you go back further in the mouth, it becomes less and less. So your very back teeth are only worth one shilling. <laughs> if only my dentist worked on those rules. <laughs> now, all of that is true so far. Right. Uh, so here we're getting to the actual fact. 
So there are different compensations for different fingers if they get cut off. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you can just see what kind of world the Anglo-Saxon world was, right? Like, <laughs> we get fingers cut off so often we have to <laughs> write down a right, somebody... for them. <laughs> right, how much is the little finger? Come on. So the thumb, unsurprisingly, is the most valuable finger. You can't do much without your thumb. So it's worth 20 shillings. Whereas the index finger, which in Old English is called the shooter finger, meaning shooting finger, basically, because I guess for shooting an arrow, uh, that is worth nine shillings. If a man strikes off the middle finger, that's worth four shillings. And the middle finger, by the way, is just called middle finger in Old English. Uh, if a man strikes off the, the ring finger, what we now call the ring finger, uh, is actually in Old English called the gold finger, which ah. amuses me. <laughs> oh, yo, God, I just got that. <laughs> James Bond gold finger. Oh, that's right. I'm, I'm the one who doesn't do popular culture. <laughs> so that's only worth six shillings. The little finger, which is just called little finger in the law code, is worth 11 shillings. Wow. So it's the... The second most valuable hmm. finger, only worth less than the thumb. Now, the law code doesn't make it clear why the little finger is so highly valued, but here's where I get into a little bit of a bonus fact uh, about a word. Another word for the little finger elsewhere in Old English is the ear finger. Why do you think that might be? Well, I know Paul picks his ear with his little poking finger. Poking in ear canals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the smallest yep. one, easiest to get the wax out, I'm guessing. That's right. Uh, so, And it's also called the, uh, another word is the ear cleansiend, the ear cleaner. Ah. So I don't know if that's the reason why the little finger is so highly valued, but perhaps that has something to do with it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so th that's the fact. Is the little finger so highly valued that it it Ooh. it places only second to the thumb in the compensation? Ooh, this right. is good. I feel, right, I, I've been taking notes as I go along to like, where <laughs> am I going to interrogate? Where can I trip Mark up? And it's probably nowhere. No, it won't be <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> so you mentioned, so this is 7th century, um... Mm -hmm. First Christian king. The oh. first Christian king, that's right, Ethelbert. Right. So did he write this himself, this law book, or how would they write law books back then? Obviously, they well, had no lawyers, really. It was Yeah, it was, he was assisted in this by um, uh, St. Augustine of Canterbury, who was the first Archbishop of Canterbury. He came in uh, 597 uh, and bringing with him, therefore, literacy. So there were presumably law codes uh, that existed in, you know, oral tradition before that. But this is the first thing that gets written down once they get Christianized. Gotcha. Okay. So, okay. in terms of actually the currency, you mentioned like the, the Weirgeld was in shillings. Was, what was the currency back then? Because I know, I, I always thought shillings, pounds, shillings and pence was like a, a later... Were they using that before? See, I'm, I'm sorry, Mark. I'm bubbling questions all over the place here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, shilling was a very early, it's it's one of the standard Anglo-Saxon coins. The only thing I'm thinking about is that the middle finger was the cheapest, and technically the middle finger is probably the most useful one. <laughs> <laughs> was, that, was that a poor joke, Paul? It's probably, that's just me when I'm driving. It's the most useful one. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the thing is, I think that this is correct in the fact that you could pay fines for cutting off fingers and thumbs. Yeah. But I don't think the little finger was the second most valuable. 
I I would have said the index finger. I was thinking index finger, so I, I, yeah, with it being the shooting finger. So I think Mark's kind of gone along the route of, oh, here's a fact. This sounds very plausible, and then kind of <laughs> twisted the lie at the very end. I don't know what you think, Paul. I, yeah, it all sounds incredibly true. Mm. It's this thing of the. I think the index finger would be the most valuable, but then again, it's useful for poking in your ear. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that well, enough to give it value? <laughs> It's also important for drinking tea. You've got to keep your little <laughs> exactly. You've got, to got to get that standards up. So I think. Like, yeah, how it, do you it, do the devil horns without uh, it? I yeah. mean, that must have been. Very <laughs> oh well, now you've all explained it. I think now, I, now, I, now I can definitely see them. <laughs> no, I think that is. I, I think it's. I think it's true that it was called the ear finger. But... That is true because it's. It's also. I think it's called the auricular finger as well. That's is, right. Hmm. Yeah, the ear canal finger. Right, gotcha. Right, so, yeah. so that's yeah. definitely true. And so that, the, that is true. Yeah, and, and that that old English word translates that Latin word uh, in a number of glosses. Right. right. So it's just whether it was priced. I don't. High. I, I think he, he's he's pulling our legs on this one, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I hate this game. <laughs> what's your what's your what's your gut reaction anyway, Paul? I thought it might be true. It's just it all sounds so plausible. Oh God, we've got a disagreement. We've got a disagreement already. Um, <laughs> But I'm I'm willing to say that it's I, I'm willing to go with you on it because yeah I I honestly don't know what I think. You're only doing that because you want the responsibility to sit with me. So if I get this, <laughs> so if we get this Is that transparent. So if we get this wrong, you're going to blame me, and they'll be two 0 up. Absolutely. Right. So we're going to go with this is a lie. We think I can so see us getting this wrong, but I right. Okay. No, we'll 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 say this is we'll say this is BS. BS. Just because yeah, it does make sense that. The finger that you you're more likely to use as a, with a weapon would be mm. more valuable, yeah, especially exactly. around about that time. Exactly, because especially if you're like an archer as well. Yeah, Ooh, that's a good point. I like that. So there mm. is, it's not like good stab in the dark. There is a reason for saying that yeah. it's BS at least, but it would not surprise me that that this would be true because you know I just don't know. Okay, <laughs> I think this is our final answer, so you... Mark. We're going to say BS. Oh God! Final answer. Yes. Yes. This fact is. True. Oh, oh. No. Oh, no. How could we be losing so badly in our, our own, own game? game. <laughs> That's a great fact. That's such a good fact. So basically what you're saying, Mark, is the Anglo-Saxons valued picking earwax above a, a talented archer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, they have good priorities, what... really. When you come right down, they were clearly a peaceful, hygienic people. That's right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. remember, this is in the days before, you know, cotton swabs or anything. So how else oh. are you going to pick your ear? Imagine going through an entire lifetime without being able to clear, clear out your, your ear. ear. I know. Yeah, that is what you're condemning a man to when you cut his little finger. Yeah. Exactly. Well, now that you've really if explained it like that, I think, oh, oh. There's such a discrepancy no. as well. 11 shillings. 11, like, yeah. And whereas like... the shooting finger is nine. I mean, it's two shillings more. That's Jeez. insane. That's such a good fact. Um, I, yeah, that's absolutely bamboozled us at this end. Oh, what a nightmare. Oh, no. Right. Well, <laughs> the well best done. you can do is a draw already. Well done, Endless Nuts. <laughs> two nil up. Oh, well done, guys. Yeah, well done. That was a brilliant fact. That's so good. <laughs> so... 
pressure is now right. on Paul. To... Oh, my fact's terrible at following on from that. <laughs> <laughs> really selling it there, Paul. Yeah. Okay. I, I should say that I, like ever since we've been talking about doing a team episode with you guys, I've been really nervous about it. So I'm deliberately steering clear of what I think is every <laughs> single person who's currently talking uh, their specialist subject. I'm going completely off the wall. I'm going with theatre. Okay. See, I, I, I wanted like an etymology face-off with you and Mark. I was that's, hoping for That's like, literally the last thing I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Judging by the last round, that's probably the best decision. Ever. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, I'd say I'm going with theatre, but I'm also kind of going with something that crops up every so often on this podcast, which is the sort of the Victorian eccentric kind of story. And we've had some... Mm-hmm. Um, highs and lows with these before. This is kind of like an Edwardian eccentric, I guess. <laughs> okay. um, I'm talking about a guy called Sir Oswald Stoll. Have you heard of him before? <laughs> no. Good. That's the best answer I could have got. <laughs> um, yeah. He was born in 1866 in Australia. He was born in Melbourne and he came across to England, became a very successful businessman. And he kind of became a, a early silent film impresario and a sort of uh, theatre impresario. Okay. And um, he founded a film company called Stoll Pictures, which produced a really early Sherlock Holmes series, a silent movie series mm-hmm. of Sherlock Holmes films. And with a Victorian architect <clears throat> called Frank Matcham, he created lots of sort of grandiose theatres all across the UK. I should say all of this is true. Okay. And in 1904, uh, the pair of them teamed up and built the Coliseum, the London Coliseum Theatre, which is the biggest mm-hmm. theatre in the West End. Before we get started, some interesting facts about the Coliseum. It was one of the first theatres that had electric lights fitted to it. It was okay. also one of the two first places in the UK to sell Coca-Cola. Oh, no. Interesting. <laughs> Do they have a plaque? Is there a blue that? plaque for that? <laughs> <laughs> There's a red plaque for it. It's not Pepsi. <laughs> yeah, if you had to understand where the other one was. Ooh. The other first place to sell Coke? To sell Coca-Cola. Was it the yeah. Smuggler's Bar case? <laughs> in, in, <laughs> on the in backs of the shields. Hadrian's Wall. No. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was um, Selfridges was the other one. The second oh. place. It was the, Col- the Coliseum and Selfridges, yeah. Um, and also, Oswald Stoll was a big fan of sort of gadgets. And he decided to have fitted to this sort of very grandiose theatre, a movable royal box so the if there was a royal visitor to the to the theatre, they would go into the foyer in a sort of little side entrance, and the sort of entire sort of seating area that they would go in would then move kind of. I think it's sort of like a bit of a funicular railway would go sort of go up the side of the theatre, um, and then that would sort of install them in in the royal box. So there was this sort of moving track uh, that took that took the the royal visitors up the side of the theatre. The first time this was used was by Edward the Seventh, and it broke down, of course. <laughs> so yeah, it, he liked his guy. And it's his gadgets that I'm going with because one of the first things that uh, was installed at the Coliseum was a revolving stage. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh, this being Oswald Stoll, he decided one revolving stage wasn't enough. He had <laughs> a set of concentric revolving stages. There was three... <laughs> rings <laughs> that would revolve and could be moved sort of independent of one another. This was a huge outlay at the time. In 1904, it was £70,000, which is the equivalent of about £8.2 million today to get this installed. Mm-hmm. And there are pictures of this on the Coliseum website, and it, it's, quite the, uh, it's quite the engineering masterpiece. But to show off mm-hmm. his fantastic... Um, revolving stage he decided shortly after the the, um, the theatre opened in December 1904 so this is January 1905 he decided to show this revolving stage off to stage a recreation of the Derby horse race <laughs> <laughs> 
and this okay. is my facts. Okay, so this is either this is either true or this is BS. So um, he threw lots and lots of money at this. He called the performance Derby Day. It was sort of the finale to what was at the time a sort of variety theatre. So it wasn't you wouldn't go to the Coliseum to see a play like you, you do today. I mm. think it's actually owned by the National Opera, English Na- National Opera now. But this back in the day was sort of lots of variety acts. John Gielgud, yeah. I think, mentions it in his in his memoirs. He says that he was doing the balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet, and the act that was on before him was um, a xylophonist called Teddy Brown. So <laughs> <laughs> it was bring him back. That's, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's really pushing the definition of variety here. I think. Um, but yeah, so this was like the sort of there'd maybe be a dozen acts on the bill, and this Derby Day was the sort of grand finale of this of this playbill, um, and. There were six live horses that would be trotted okay, so out were, onto the They stage. were live horses, not like, yeah. you know, pantomime horses or something. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I wish it was pantomime horses. I've just suddenly imagined that. If, <laughs> if only it had been. <laughs> um, yeah, so six horses, live horses with, uh, with six uh, very highly trained jockeys on them uh, come out onto the stage. And they start walking in the opposite direction to the outermost of these revolving rings. And now this right. this revolving stage goes at somewhere between 15 to 20 miles an hour. So for a revolving <laughs> stage, it can go pretty quick. So the horse starts going in the opposite direction to this circle. Right. Starts picking up speed. And this is his Derby Day finale. What a fantastic idea this is. Um, except, of course, it's horrendously dangerous. Uh And what happens on the first day that they put this on is that one of the horse's hooves lands on part of the stage that isn't moving. Uh, The rest of the horse sort of goes from under him. Two horses fall down. One jockey flies off into the orchestra pit. His horse (laughs) follows him. He gets horrendously injured and taken to Charing Cross Hospital where he, he later dies. This is a man oh called Fred Dent. So yeah, this was an absolute disaster. But this being 1905, when health and safety and things didn't really matter, uh, the show must go on. And the following night, they did exactly the same thing. Poor old Fred Dent was replaced at the last minute by another jockey. And uh, all that they did to stop the same disaster from happening again was to put a net over the orchestra pit. And that, <laughs> and that, that is will catch a fact. horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is my fact. But uh, to celebrate this revolving stage at the Coliseum Theatre, they staged a recreation of the Epsom Derby. So is the revolving stage definitely true or is that part of the fact? There is a revolving stage at the Coliseum, yes. It's whether it was sort of inaugurated with um, a revolving horse race. (laughs) Now, we have to decide how crazy (laughs) the turn of the century and theater impresarios are. And the obvious answer to that is fairly. Very crazy, yeah. I have no point of reference for that. (laughs) Yes, this was my plan. (laughs) Was Was to go so off grid we'd all be all be on the back foot. We're still losing though. (laughs) (laughs) He's trying to wrestle it back. Um, Okay, so six horses on a revolving stage. You know a lot about horses. How likely is it that horses would do this? Have a disaster? Fairly high. Well, Um, like walk on a moving surface like that. They could do that. There There are nowadays... Uh, when horses, uh, racehorses have problems with tendons and things like that, they build water treadmills for them. 
And they put swimming, basically a small swimming pool with a treadmill at the bottom so the horse can go in and, and they sort of run to exercise, but they're in water so that there's not much pressure on their legs so that they can get exercise without <laughs> further damaging their tendons. And this is oh, like wow. an, a known thing. This is actually, wow. All right. I was just listening that, to them then. talking about a polo player <laughs> who uh, does that for a polo. Yeah, they can do that now, now. Yeah. but the horses will wow. do that. The horses yeah. will do that, yeah. There's a polo player who does that, who builds a special... New <laughs> new swimming pool for every individual horse that gets injured because they need to be like specialized per horse. Right. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's a whole new definition of water polo. <laughs> but um, Jake, we've, we've got to get one really bad <laughs> joke right. every week. Should we? Uh, start, I thought it would come from Mark. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. All right. Well, so yes. So could you get horses to do that? I mean, in the same way that you can get horses to do tricks in the circus okay. and stuff All like right. that. They're fairly. Tra- they're pretty trainable. Um, but it's always a knife edge because if mm-hmm. something goes wrong, they freak out because they have tiny, tiny brains. <laughs> oh, oh, bless I love horses. <laughs> I love horses, but they're, you know, they, they have a very strong flight response. Let's just put it that way. So were these horses in the show, the actual race horses from the, presumably not, these were? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that they were the actual horses that had ridden the derby. I know that they were live horses. Okay. Live horses. Yeah. Oh, it would be great if they were Shetland ponies. That would be, that would be. I, now, if, if they can't be pantomime horses, I want them to be Shetland ponies. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it. Uh, this is hard because mm. this is the kind of thing that a showman's going to come up with. Like, ah, I've got a great idea. And then it would go horribly wrong for obvious reasons. But that doesn't, just because it was a silly idea, mm. doesn't make it implausible that it was an idea. Well, and that they would do it again the next night. <laughs> I don't know. That feels like if he'd made it up, would he put that detail in? I don't know. I don't know. So, 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 so basically, we're we're just relying on strategy than any actual. Oh yeah, there's no knowledge involved here. I got yeah, that that tends to be how this game plays out. <laughs> it's usually ninety percent of the time, it's just a stab in the dark. Yeah, it's, it's all really the game is actually just a, a mask for a deep psychological analysis of the opponent. Yes. <laughs> That's not- that's not a bad suggestion, actually. We should just re- rebrand ourselves. It's just a therapy session every week. Or it feels like the um, scene from The Princess Bride. I know that you, you know, know that I know that I'm not a fool. So you would obviously not make the fact that... It's like yeah. some sort of terrible triple bluff. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I have. I don't really have an... My instinct is to say it's true. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's I the kind of crazy stunt that a impresario yeah. would do. But then, of course, uh, that means it's perfectly plausible BS, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But I don't have any grounds to, to guess on it. What do you want to say? <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst game, isn't it? It's so, it's so horrible. It's all right. We're running with an advantage now. I don't feel but so bad. That's right. <laughs> It's it's so crazy it could be true. Yeah, I think we should just go with true. Let's go with true. We're going to say true. True. Okay, final answer, it's true? True. Yes. Yeah. That entire story is true. Whoa! <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. And it's, awful. Poor guy. Yeah, I know. It's um, it's quite something. Yeah, and this revolving stage is still there. You can still go and see it. And yeah, the photos of how the mechanics of this worked was is all online and it's ridiculous. But yeah, wow. they had a live horse race. 
And I think it shows oh the sheer mileage we can get out of Victorian and Edwardian eccentrics. <laughs> yeah. 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 They are an unending source of unbelievable <laughs> yeah. facts. It's like, just whatever thought popped in their heads, they just did it. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's literally no need to make any of them up because they're all there <laughs> exactly. in the books. But well done, guys. It's yeah. Well, that's, well, that's great. That is a great that story. That is amazing That fact. is amazing. And I was, I was prepared to totally query the... the Three ring concentric. Yeah, that that was the uh, stage. thing that I, I was, felt. I was not was... believing that. No, <laughs> 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 no, nope, 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 perfectly Edwardian. That's it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm also amazed by that uh, that moving royal box. That's... Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the fact that it broke all down. true. Yeah. yeah. I love the fact that it broke with King Edward in it. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I hope it's yeah. sort of stalled halfway and he just didn't get to see the show. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a story about this that he apparently had quite a violent temper, so everyone sort of looked at him when it broke down and expected him to to kick off but uh, apparently he just started laughing and walked the rest of the way and everyone was so relieved they just applauded him <laughs> like he had to walk he had to walk maybe 10 foot but he did it to a round of applause at least it, it, makes, it makes me think like in a hundred years time will people look at us in the same way as we look at the Edwardians for, for like for like nonsense like this, but. well I think some of the Elon Musk stuff might well uh, end up oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's true he launched a, oh he launched a car into space oh, alright that's <laughs> a very normal idea well done though oh well three done is, guys three well, nil thank you. <laughs> this is turning into a whitewash this could be our oh, that's very all right. first I think wipeout you, you prob- I've fears that you're going to pull at least this last one back because I have no confidence in this fact. <laughs> no, no. Don't worry, Evan. We're, do- we're, we've, we're cursed now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, it's the consolation that if, if you find it easy and you know exactly what, what's going on and you're, you wit- that it was clearly just me being kind, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, get that in now, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, we've got the caveats in. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going, like Mark, I figured I might as well go with something I know something about, though I'm not going with my actual, my actual field of specialty is Latin poetry. But basically any fact based on Latin poetry, I, I tried to run a few past Mark and he just kept saying, well, yeah, I mean, it's poetry. That sounds plausible. And I was like, hmm, this isn't going to get me anywhere. I was like, what about this fact about how there's a, a fourth century poem entirely about fish in the River Moselle? Mark's like, oh, it sounds yeah. quite fun. <laughs> poem, okay, sure. I'm like, oh, fine, okay. I thought it was weird, but fine. Um, so I decided to leave poetry behind. And I'm going to do something more to do with history, social history. But that means that I'm I'm, I'm a little worried about Ant in particular being, you know. Ooh, don't. Oh, no, don't. So yeah, we'll you, you, you really don't have to. <laughs> Although I did do Victor- a Victorian social history as a module at uni, actually. So, uh, okay. Yeah. See, <laughs> this is why you don't need to be worried about it. <laughs> I didn't do well at that module. <laughs> All right. What I'm going to talk about is gladiators, because Ooh. we're going to talk about Rome, which is my thing. Let's talk about gladiators. So, you know, okay. I'm sure a fair amount about gladiators. They're well-known in popular culture. We know our basic facts about gladiator combats, um, but I'll maybe just run through a few of the sort of highlights of what the general myths are and some of the details might, people might not know. Uh, they were originally funeral rites. The first gladiatorial combats, as far as we can tell, were put on at a funeral for prominent mm. people, prominent men. Oh, wow. So it may have come out of essentially a human sacrifice kind of idea. Oh, right. Yeah. So the, f- the first 
gladiators who are prisoners of war who um, fought in in these you know one one pair of gladiators or whatever in just a sort of makeshift funeral and for a very very long time in fact you couldn't put on gladiatorial games at Rome unless they were as funeral games so there was a religious and, and legal restriction on it which admit led to people who wanted to put on gladiatorial combats in the late Republic having to sort of suddenly remember the anniversary of a great loved family member's death, <laughs> you know, 12 years ago or 15 years ago or whatever, oh in no, the year that they Aunt happened Petunia. to Great Aunt Petunia, oh no. Yes, well, literally Great Aunt Julia. Um, uh, Julius Caesar, when he wanted, when he was ideal, which is the sort of rank of magistrate when you're in charge of the games, uh, wanted to put on a, a, a set of funeral games because they were very popular and they were a way of getting elected to the higher um, magistracies. Uh, he remembered his great aunt Julia, who had died oh. like <laughs> eight years ago or something, and put on games for her. People kind of saw through this. Eventually, under the empire, it just became the emperor's prerogative to put on gladiatorial combats, and they didn't have to come up with an excuse. But for a very long time, they were theoretically connected to funeral rites. So that's when that's where they come from. The gladiators themselves are almost always slaves, uh, usually prisoners of war. Uh, they, you could sell yourself into slavery to be a gladiator, though, and people actually did that occasionally, though they passed laws sometimes to stop people from doing that. Wow. The gladiators could become very famous and superstars, but they were also slaves. So this is the strange tension about gladiators. Yeah. I've always wondered about this. Were they, were they actually kind of like, uh, for, for want of a sort of modern parallel, were they kind of like the pop stars of their day? Were they that, yeah. that famous? Yeah, they were, absolutely. And I mean, I think of them as being a cross between pop stars and sports stars. And I actually think right. that tension is something that isn't which people always make it sound like it's very weird of the Romans to idolize these people they also despised but I'm gonna say that we kind of do that with celebrities now like people idolize celebrities but also sort of poo-poo them as being okay maybe they don't poo-poo them because maybe they're not Edwardian but um, as being (laughs) (laughs) as being um, you know low class you know like the Kardashians or something or sports stars who are often elevated from quite sort of lower echelons of society and end up being superstars and sex symbols. But at the same time, they're kind of put off to the side, like they aren't really intellectuals and they aren't really, you know, so there's a, I think there's tension about that now. It's obviously not the same as slave and superstar, but yeah. yeah. So there's a sort of friction between them being Mm -hmm. celebrated and kind of marginalized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. But they were definitely sex symbols in particular. There's lots of poems. There's there I get my poems in lots of poems (laughs) about how uh, upper class Roman women were just mad for gladiators and thought they were uh, and most of them are too rude for this theoretically family friendly podcast (laughs) go ahead go ahead (laughs) (laughs) yeah they uh, they were very there were some martial poems let's say about how uh you know, uh, having used the sword in the how certain women were very fond of the gladiator's steel. <laughs> right. Okay. Ah, we see. We're reading between the lines here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the very large writing between the lines. Yeah. Uh, yeah as, as euphemisms go, that's not the subtlest one. <laughs> yeah, it's not really euphemistic, Marshall. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, so anyway, so lots of gladiators. There's also lots of different kinds of gladiators. They were called in general gladiators, but that literally means fighting with a short sword, the gladius. So there were other kinds like the secutor who fought with a net and a trident and it based on their armor and their fighting style and there were particular sets where you'd have different pairs the traditional pairing off they wouldn't fight their own class they would always fight someone else Uh, some other facts to sort of debunk the common understanding gladiator combats were usually not to the death it was quite unusual to fight 
to the death. Um, oh, right. Because gladiators were highly trained and very expensive. And so it, when people did declare that a certain set of fights was going to be to the death, it was a real act of extravagance. In fact, it was sometimes right. restricted by law because it was considered too extravagant. Not, of course, too cruel. That obviously didn't have anything to do with the law. I don't think the Romans knew what the word cruelty meant, to be honest. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> they didn't understand it as a pejorative, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah exactly. That's yeah, no, so, um, but, yeah, so usually they were, they were very well trained and they were very skilled and really what you were watching was a skilled combat. Uh, where one of the combats, and if they were defeated, they could put their hand up and the referee, and there was a referee on the match, would declare the match over. Um, so there was a whole sort of rules about it and things. The other fact that I'll just give before I get to my actual fact um, was that the thumbs down gesture, there was a thumb gesture that we're told about, but it's very disputed as to what it was and whether I'm, I'm moving my thumb around a lot. But you <laughs> that works really that. well yeah, on a it podcast. It works very well on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But like whether the thumbs up or the thumbs down meant that you should kill. So in in that moment of uh, one gladiator submitting to the other, it was up to the person who was putting the games on to say, you know, spare him and the game and the fight is over or to say kill him. So that could be done. There's a lot of question as to what orientation of the thumb was meant by the thumb being turned, which is how it's referred to in our texts. Um, right. And some people think that the thumb up meant slit his throat, like take your thumb and put it across your throat. And that meant kill him. And thumb in the ah. fist or down meant let him free. It's not clear. Hmm. Anyway, so all of that is true. Right. Now I'll get to the actual fact that I was going to say, which is that um, gladiator, gladiatorial combats were, of course, massively entertaining. They became more and more sort of the major entertainment other than chariot races of the ancient Roman city. And as, you know, all good fight scenes in movies have now, they obviously um, needed a soundtrack. So Roman gladiatorial combats were often accompanied by music while they were fighting. The musicians were in the ring with them. And by the time when most of these uh, combats were happening, the most popular kind of music to accompany them was organ music. And that right. is my fact. Right. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> did gladiatorial combats, were they accompanied by live organ music played by musicians in the arena okay. with fighters? Organ this music. is interesting. Okay. This, this is interesting. I, uh, from your first, like the initial facts, even I, I knew like the, right. the the dispute over the thumb gestures. Um, so yeah, this is the types of gladiators. I, I've and... been sitting here going, "Oh wow, this is amazing!" And Anthony's just been sat here, sort of nodding very pensively. <laughs> 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 this is all completely new to me. Well, actually, I was I was going to record like a a bonus episode where I just ranted about the film Gladiator and how <laughs> inaccurate it was. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I've decided I've not done that yet. That might be something to look forward to in the future. But yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, look forward to is an in inverted commas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so okay. there are a lot of myths surrounding gladiators. Mm -hmm. And I know they did a lot of crazy things in the arenas. Um, like, because did they not flood it at some the, point? I think the Colosseum mm -hmm. was flooded for a naval battle once. So it's yes, not seen that they did that. It's not unprecedented that they did really weird things. Yeah, <laughs> and I do. I, I'm sure it rings a vague bell that I'm sure they obviously they had kind of trumpets that might introduce battles or get people's attention. Mm. But an organ. This is See, the first is the I've thing. actually it's heard like, of an organ. I, th there's two things that I'm stumbling on here. The first is whether organs existed that at that was, point. Yeah. And the, the other thing is, you say it was sort of soundtracked. Was it like, you know, like in a silent film where there's someone <laughs> sort of improvising what's going on? Was it like that or was it sort well, of like music was played... written for this? No. Well, uh, as so often with ancient music, we don't really know. They didn't write 
music down very often, and when they did, it yeah. didn't survive, all this sort of thing. But what we think is that there was a, basically they played simple melodies and that it worked as basically setting a rhythm to the fight. So it was a soundtrack in that sense that it kind of gave, you know, gave a rhythm to it. And also the organ was said to excite great emotions in the crowd. So they got very emotional when they heard the organ music. (laughs) So, you know, that would, I guess, to whip them up into a frenzy. So that's why I say a soundtrack. Like, you know, you watch a fight without the music, it doesn't get you as much as when you watch it with one. I'm hoping it was like the the clown music. Because <laughs> that would be perfect. Yeah, that's when the gladiators turn on the musicians. <laughs> they come out with like squirting water at each other. <laughs> now, okay. I, I really want this to be true because I like <laughs> facts like this. But I'm thinking... I'm completely bamboozled by the this. The thing is, you could, this is perfectly feasible like in like smaller like provincial town arenas where the crowds aren't so big, you might... But I'm thinking if it was somewhere like the Colosseum, like the sound of the crowd would drown out the organ. How powerful were the organs? Well, their reach? They were... There were two kinds of organs. There was air-driven organs and there were water-driven organs. And the water-driven organs were apparently very loud and that was why they were used in these larger arenas so that they could be loud enough to be heard. Okay. Okay. Right. You've, you've answered my one bamboozle question. <laughs> <laughs> I I honestly don't know what to think yet. Again, mm. it, I I'm kind of bowled over by the fact that there was an organ back then. Although I've mm. heard of water organs, and I think they they're ridiculously ancient. I'm sure they go back to. Ancient it rings Greece. some vague. I was about to say it rings a vague bell to do with Greece. I see, I, the, what's really annoying is I taught piano for like eleven <laughs> years, so I should really know something about the history of keyboards. Well, I was going to say, I'm sure that wasn't the first lesson for the kids. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is middle C, and here's how a water organ. First, we're going to do us. six lessons on the history of key <laughs> instruments. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Next, I'll show you where middle C is. <laughs> Yeah, that really helped sort the weed from the chaff as far as are you committed or not kids um i'm kind of leaning towards this being true i've i've never i'm not like you i, I know nothing about this period of history at all so i i've never thought about there ever being music <clears throat> alongside these fights but it kind of makes sense that there mm. would be i'm leaning towards true as well because i'm sure i've it was either a documentary or a book I read somewhere where I'm sure they mentioned there were some sort of musical instruments that were in the arena. It makes sense so that there would be... It wasn't unheard I mean, of. They, have, they would have had like fanfares and stuff, yeah, presumably. exactly. But then for the fight to be kind and of... to have a rhythm. Soundtrack. But then again, it's you'd think that would be more well-known and documented. That it is oh, nothing... I see you're starting to doubt yourself. I <laughs> am. I'm starting to... <laughs> the second we come together to think like, yeah, this is one answer, we start doubting it. Right. Was it in right. the movie Gladiator? And if so, does that mean it's not... Not true. <laughs> exactly. If it's in there, it's not clearly true. BS. Oh, don't get me started on Commodus in there as well. I had a, I had a rant to Paul about it. Said one of his. Oh, I, I just switched off. He does. He switches off when I ran out of Yeah. Right. We came together I'm, on true. Yeah, I think that's I'm, we just we just stick with it. I, I've with never heard of anything like this, but it does sound very plausible, and I'm happy, I'm happy to say that it's true. If it is true, I'm amazed because that's mm. a brilliant. And if it's a lie, I'm also amazed at Avon's ability to just, <laughs> <No>. just <laughs> flat out lie to us. I know. Oh, we've been played out of this place. God, today. I swear to God, if this is 4 0, we're shutting the podcast down. Yeah. Okay, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go with true. Yep. True. Okay, true. That's our final answer. Right. Is true. Final oh, answer? No. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. This entire fact is true. 
Oh, oh wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Pulled well done. Back. <laughs> an oh. organ. There was indeed an organ. And in fact, Paul, you do know about it because you wrote about it in the first, <laughs> your first book in the origin of the word hydraulic. <laughs> oh, which yeah, I did. gave me oh. a great pause. So I carefully did not tell you that the water organ was called a hydraulis because I didn't want to kick that memory in your, Even, in your head. Even, don't, don't worry. I use Haggard Hawks facts all the time. He doesn't remember. <laughs> I, no, can't I was banking on it, but you, you still did <laughs> yeah. come to the right to the right answer so oh, um, yeah and it was it, invented in Hellenistic Greece um, in about I the third century I see yeah. oh, I thought right. it rang a bell somewhere back there I mean I think it's even though I've, I know it's true it still amazes me frankly that they that, have organs I mean yeah, that is amazing astonishing yeah. and Nero is the one who introduced it to gladiatorial combats which I, I sort of left that out because I thought that would make you go oh well of course if it's going to be Nero, <laughs> 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 it's gonna be Nero. Yeah. something if anyone something was crazy it was, gonna be him. it was Nero yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. Wow, that's incredible! It's it's the fact that like yes, there would be fanfares and trumpets mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. like you said, but, but they the played music, that there would be yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah, to to accompany the fight itself. That that's incredible. Yeah, before the organ, they they had trumpets and horns and as music, but playing it not just fanfares but also melodies. And in fact, if you do a Google image search for gladiator and organ or gladiator and musicians, you'll see that we've got some very nice uh, mosaics of these organs being played in the arena, oh, like wow, right next really? to people fighting. Yeah, it's kind of amazing and like often the organ and then a couple of uh, people playing trumpets and curved trumpets um, so these were in the in the provincial arenas as well like in small amphitheaters the only organ that has survived the only physical specimen that survived was found in Hungary oh wow yeah which I did not know until I was researching this fact Um, I have a a JSTOR article about it if anyone would like it (laughs) (laughs) I might grab that from you (laughs) but it, it survived and it had the one that survived had 52 pipes made of bronze and a bronze Manual or clavier. The That's tallest the pipe. Yeah, the t- tallest pipe was three feet high. It had wow. stops and a soundboard. Like it's. That's a big deal. Like, that's really mm. modern sounded almost that it's sort of I know. It, it has all of those kinds of Yeah, it's not just an organ by name, like it really is the mm. same basic that's setup as, as the mm. later ones, yeah. And it must have had quite a, like to have all those pipes, it must have had quite a range as well. Uh they've tried to reconstruct what it would have sounded like, but it seems to have been organized for the various Greek modes, you know, musical mm. styles and stuff. So I can't give you any more details than that because I, the article had more, but I don't understand enough about organs. <laughs> this is this is still my favorite fact though, even that's not just because I just love the Romans so much it's <laughs> genuinely genuinely a really interesting one but. that's incredible yeah. yeah that's absolutely amazing I've never heard of anything like that but mm. apparently I have because I've wrote about it <laughs> <laughs> well to be fair it. you didn't you didn't mention the use of it by gla- in gladiators in the book that's good. I did check that you, do, you know more I about that books than me <laughs> <laughs> that's that's incredible that's but well done you got fact, it David. yeah, yeah we finally <laughs> consolation one points. point back Three, right at the end well done to the endless knots yeah well so done guys that was absolutely brilliant that was so much Fun. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm, I'm like I'm relieved. I like sigh of relief. It's like that was so stressful. It? It's, it's like I uh, know I keep saying it, but it, I hate this game. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but you know, you know what it needs though is you need to have organ accompaniment to you know help build up the the, the stress and anxiety. <laughs> yeah, a thinking, live accompaniment, none of this adding a soundtrack afterwards. Yeah, yeah. You need an organist in the room, in the room with you. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we need a Patreon to fund a water organ, <laughs> and then we do a and then we do a live feed from the Smuggler's Bar in Masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. The new setup. Yeah. That but, was uh, absolutely brilliant, though, guys. Well done. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) 
That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. And now we can retire victorious from the field and never do it again. That's right. (laughs) Undefeated. We we brought our one top fact each. (laughs) We'll never have to come up with another. (laughs) Well, we'll be back for a rematch at some point. Yes. All right. We need to pull some points back at some point. I think we'll just say thanks again to Mark and Avon. You've been really good sports. Again, you can find the Endless Knot podcast at their website on alliterative.net. Alliterative on YouTube as well. On Twitter at all endless not um, basically when we post the episode we'll link to all of yeah, them endless not the uh, Twitters Great. Facebooks all that so all the, all the lovely <laughs> social medias yeah. stuff thanks and maybe one day we'll get them back I think for yeah. a rematch and we might we might hold them to a draw <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, in spite of the nerve-wracking element of doing this, I would love to come back because this was Absolutely. tons of fun. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for having us on. <laughs> no, no, Thanks pleasure. for coming on, guys. Yeah, thank you so, Thanks. so much. Yeah.